0: with that, I welcome my best friend, Kevin Dunn, to the three to five time slot. What's up, brother? How are we doing today?
1: It's been a long day, but, uh, you know, I I forgot my adapter in my bag from work. So I uh, had to replug that in there because the, man, these laptops die right away. Like this is only two years old and they just, you know. The battery life is it, with phones too, just goes out way too quickly.
0: It's not quite as big of a ruse as the phone deal, where if you get three to four models in, then good luck with right. that phone doing anything that was promised. Because at a certain point, they stop providing updates for phones that are over a certain age. Trust but tonight, The computer's also, and the computer, unfortunately, is just a matter of those batteries having only so much life, no pun intended there, to where when you charge it over and over and over again, eventually it just doesn't hold that charge anymore. Eventually, the charger has to be plugged in at all times. Otherwise, the computer zaps down to zero almost immediately. It's why I had to get a new computer at the start of the year. It's like, I'm not going to have that charger with me at all times. And even if I do, the computer needs to work better than that. Perhaps it's a spoiled first world problem, but we're all pretty freaking reliant on these things at this point so they need to work like they were promised to
1: yeah agreed but it's also a ruse because they i mean they build these things to break down and they you know with the apps with the phone that zaps your uh battery and with the with these i mean they could build these to where because they're building other stuff it's funny different industries like cars are better can last a lot longer now than they did 30 years ago. Uh, A lot of things can, but they also realize a lot of these companies did. Wait a minute. Like, you know, we have to get them to buy a new one within two or three years and the computer, they they could do a lot better than this. I paid way too much for this. It's a Dell. It's a good computer, but um, there's no way that the battery at this point, should be where it's at. And I got a new uh, cell phone a year ago, right after OU. So not even a full year, and that thing, this thing's dying all the time now. And this is a brand new, you know, i i nineteen or whatever it is. Um, like I care. I mean, i the the iPhone two is good enough for me. I don't need ninety five percent of this. The only thing I need is with my job and life. I need this battery to work.
0: I have considered in the last year now of switching back to the basic flip phone because they sell those. They sell Uh, new flip phones that only do phone calls and text messages. I got to be honest. So, man,
1: I am a whore. Like I will be at Chinatown. I'm watching a game up here and a game right here. Like, I mean, this is also a TV for me too.
0: That's a part of it. It is. Like they the extra features have me hooked. Like I enjoy having a camera, a good camera at this point too in my pocket at all times. Yeah. To take pictures of of the kids or, you know, whatever natural surroundings we're at and it does make it that much easier. I don't even have social media on my phone anymore, but I'm still according to the stats that we all get as iPhone users on Sunday mornings, I'm still in that like two to three to sometimes four hour range. And it really just makes me feel like a colossal loser to be reminded that I'm on this fucking phone four hours out of the, the 12 plus hours that I'm awake or 16 hours that I'm awake during a day.
1: Yeah. I, I get the screen time update every Sunday and I just put my head down because it's not really me, but I'm forced to be in this society and and deal with it. And so I feel like I've adjusted, but I mean, even at the suite on Saturday, I mean, I was this guy the whole time, you know. Ah, oh, look at that. They've got, you know, pork belly bacon tacos. And it's like, <laughs> dude, fucking live. Like, you know, talk to people.
0: Yeah, it's I like- loved, I loved all the pictures and videos that we were getting from the drone show and the stadium light show, which was unveiled, obviously, for the very first time because it was the first night game this year. Like I'm sure that stuff was was really cool to experience in person, but part of that requires you to actually experience it in person too versus thinking whatever you're capturing on that $500 phone is is going to come anywhere close to truly representing what's going on in that moment.
1: Well, big shout out to Chris Johnston, who's a big fan of you and I and Texas Sports Unfiltered was a big fan of us like way back in the day. I talked to Chris you know, I met him and and he's at Broadway Bank, and so they hosted us, and they're great people. But Chris said, "I go well, how long have you listened to me for?" He said, "24 years." But I, uh, I guess you're in. You're you're a P1 um, and great guy from Tyler. Just a lot of fun, and so the suite was great. It was really cool to experience that. But I mean, you know me. I ideally. I'm in my place by myself watching a game, maybe with you or one other person. But you got to be hardcore. We've got to be screaming about a call here or a call there. Or why did you do that? So Wyoming was a good game to do that. I apologize for missing postgame. But I will tell you right now, do not try an Uber out of DKR with six minutes to go in the game.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting because that was obviously a close game going into the fourth quarter, but it was a game that forced people to sit in their seats longer yep. than most people plan to.
1: You're right. If it's forty-eight-seven, maybe with seven to go in the game, you can get away with it. But um, no, it was uh, it was a really good experience. UT does put on a first-class, uh, first-class type experience for that. Like it was the food, the drinks, the just everything. It was. I was pretty proud of my school. You know, we do the suites right.
0: You know, all the experiences that I have in that stadium, I don't think I've ever sat in a suite before. Is it all you can eat and drink to go along with obviously great seats and televisions to watch the game in front of you or other games happening at that time?
1: Dude, they had a massage table, escorts. It was – they didn't have that but yeah no I mean it it was free food free drink and free food in the suite and then outside they had like the pork belly tacos and so I I ate like four dinners in one night I I mean I you know I definitely felt it the next day but it it was a lot of fun so it was probably the the right game to do that with because I don't think I would have had anything to say on post game but um went back and rewatched it and that's one of those wins you you take. We can get into the flyover defense and how that's affected the inverted Tampa 2, how this affected Sark and the offense and the downfield passing game. But overall, like uh, I'll take the W and let's move on.
0: Look, there's plenty to get frustrated with regarding the Texas passing attack. But one thing that I'll give them credit for on Saturday is that they weren't forcing the ball downfield when Wyoming made it known early and stuck with this game plan throughout that they were keeping three safeties back the entire time. Yeah. So whereas you would normally see Sark and Quinn try and go over the top seven or eight times in a game, they only went over the top three times. One of those to Jatavian Sanders down the left sideline early. There was another one that I think was more middle of the field in the end zone that, probably should have been picked off by Wyoming too. That was probably the point where Sark is like, look, they're dropping safeties back on every play. We're just going to have to take what's in front of us more so than, than taking these shots that are very high risk and low reward.
1: Yeah. And that was the ball also to Sanders that, that that's where you kind of get the touch and the feel and, and we, we, you know, applauded uh quinn for putting more air under the ball against Alabama. That's when you actually want to put more on a line. If you're gonna fit that in that mm. window, that's gotta be it's gotta be enough touch to get over the backer, but underneath the safety and more on a line. So learning experience, but you're right. They they didn't force it and in that game you don't need to.
0: What was the biggest positive that you took away from the game on Saturday?
1: Um probably the pork belly tacos, um, really, really, really good. It wasn't uh, the light show. Light show was good too. I mean, I'm sure you've got a ton. I'm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I trust you, I'm trusting. I'm going to tee you up here on this, but yeah, I mean, it was fun. Like, what? What's wrong with that? I know you don't like "Don't Stop Believing," and when they play that, and yeah, there's some corny stuff that may go on, but dude, the environment now compared to, I mean, pre-game. During the game, post-game, I wasn't there, but it's so much better than it was when we were kids in the 1990s. Do you remember, do you remember the track around there? And you yeah. go Schultz and that was it?
0: I remember that, and I give CDC and Drew Martin huge credit for what they have done to enhance the game day experience. I'm not crazy that a lot of the tailgates south of MLK no longer exist. But that's an unfortunate product of circumstance where a lot of those parking lots now have buildings. Right. So that's space, real estate. So the space doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. So I give them credit for that. My issue with Don't Stop Believing in the Light Show is that it's pretty cookie cutter at this point. Like it is essentially every program copycatting whatever other program they've seen it at up to that point. Does that mean it's not cool? No, it doesn't. But I also don't lose my shit like a lot of people do when the light show is going on and the drone show, which, by the way, that looks cool also, getting the, the Longhorn hand sign and the, That's pretty cool. the Texas Longhorn head and some of the other stuff that they did with those drones. I would much rather have the drones than fireworks. Fireworks are a lot of noise pollution. I mean, sure, it's a, a cool visual show in a sense, not worth the no, noise pollution to me. So I go drone show over fireworks. But ultimately, I think there needs to be a balance still there at the college game where you do still have a lot of the pageantry that makes the college experience so special. And unfortunately, at a lot of stadiums, not just DKR, but a lot of the stadiums, you may as well not even have a band in the stands anymore yeah the speakers so fucking loud dude and i've asked multiple people about this everybody agrees with me the speakers at dkr are too loud this is not me going old man this is me having a good sense for what an audio level needs to be at because of the job that i do it's too loud i know you're trying to get to everybody in the stadium it's doing that and then some you can turn it down a couple of notches and it'll not even still have the same effect. It may even have a better effect because you're not going to have people plugging their ears out of fear that they're losing hearing.
1: Agreed. But also, I mean, one of the things that makes college football better than the NFL is the band, right? It's why I always laughed. I mean, have you ever heard the Miami hurricane band once in your life from like 84 on that don't exist because there are mafia NFL XFL program. <laughs> um, like, I mean, college football, you think about the band, right? Yeah. And And so I wish the band would play more. I'm with you on that. I would say, though, first off, fireworks, that would really be copycat because that goes back to
0: 1776. Um, kind of. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm not uh, lobbying for more. I'm lo- lobbying but, for less fireworks, including on 4th of July. But I'll
1: say this. The light show is much better than, you know, Don't Stop Believing, which is – you know, lame, but I wouldn't say there are that many programs that are doing it. Yeah. Notre Dame's done it. George has done it. Bam has done it. I mean, there are programs, but you know, we may be like number 10 on the list. And by the way, did you love the intro video in the early two thousands with the Longhorns running through, you know, uh, on the video screen running through the city and saying hi to Ricky and Earl on the Heisman trophies as they come in and bust in and let's go and the smoke comes. Did you like that?
0: You're talking about the student-made CGI video?
1: The one that was like in 2000. I saw it on Twitter recently. but It was a long time ago, but yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was student-run. I have no idea, but the
0: the the intro is better. Like, the, the game day operation overall looks much better. It's just too loud, though. And I know, Craig, if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> or, or maybe you've been working on dirty 36 for too long and your hearing is completely blown out huh I yeah, exactly I need I need my ears I need my ears to do my job and I value my hearing every time I go to DKR now, I'm like I am losing a couple of tones just sitting in or standing and watching this game in person
1: yeah you are too old. God damn it.
0: <laughs> no i mean i mean
1: th- that line alone
0: you know i value my hearing it's like what um no but interest- it's why it's why but look for me to back this up i need to to let the people know it's why i don't scream at games anymore because most of the time i'm doing post game with you oh, god you came in a couple post games and you sounded like you know a thirsty whore well, that's because I was in the 100-degree heat for three hour, four hours. So
1: anyway, here's my take on the zone. They're running. And I'm like, God, you, you can't be on the air right now.
0: Yeah, that was not good. And so I <laughs> learned my lesson there. The, the sound thing is out of my control, though, unfortunately. Hey, by the way, congratulations to us. Texas Sports Unfiltered has surpassed 5,000 subscribers on Beautiful. YouTube. Thank you all. There's a massive giveaway. That is about to occur. Not going to spoil anything. Going to let BK and Bucky talk about that one tomorrow morning at 8. But make sure to stay tuned. Tune in. You're all entered to win. So good luck with the many things on the table right now. I think that includes Texas tickets. Yep. Apparently I got BK to agree to taking a watcher slash listener to Taco Bell for a meal or two. And lots of other cool things like that.
1: Well, there's one more thing, too. Lauren Bobart, the Republican who gave the Handy, yeah. she's going to take someone to a movie, too.
0: Oh, well, I was hoping she would take one of us to uh, to the Beetlejuice play.
1: <laughs> well, okay, that. I, I didn't realize it was a play. Never never has... I'm not also, caught up on politics, but I saw that on Twitter, and I'm like, oh, God.
0: Never has uh, saying Beetlejuice three times in a row elicited such... Beetlejuice from an audience member. If you All right, well, let's get back to it, though. Did you like the video
1: in the early 2000s? It was very well received of the Longhorns running through the city and busting it. I mean, yeah, I know you're going to say no. You're the wrong guy to set up on this.
0: It was cheesy. I, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. I thought I thought
1: that i I want you to say you like it so I could hit you on hypocrisy and say they stole that from the Chicago Bulls.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't like it all that much. So, unfortunately, you didn't shoot me in that trap.
1: Do you like anything outside of hearing?
0: <laughs> I like you.
1: Well, because you can hear.
0: I can hear you right now. Exactly. Right. If, this just post, if this was just post-UT game and I was sitting in our normal seats, I would just be saying, huh? What? Say that again? And it is, too,
1: it, it is too loud. I mean, I agree. And also too much of it to where I want to hear the band. Um, but I also get why they're doing it because they're young college kids there and they want to hear, you know, Hope Me Rhonda by the Beach Boys. I'm well, not that, but let's get okay. it on my DMX.
2: How about that?
0: Look, the students are going to go apeshit regardless of what is playing. You could have the band doing their thing the entire time, and the students will still would still be getting at it. By the way, how often do you see the, the whole Texas fight chant these days? Not enough. Or how long? How often are you hearing the? Yeah, not, not enough. All that often because yeah, not enough. else is blaring over those speakers. Yeah, it's like college sports has been turned into an NBA game from the early two thousands.
1: Yeah. No, the NBA got that level and it's, it, it's obvious why they are where they are right now. Um, cause you start that trajectory and you're just going to c- continue to go up there. So it was still a lot of fun, but I was also sitting in AC and um, you know, but I, I will say this, like, you don't, you know, cause I wasn't going to elbow my way down to the very bottom, like with the very sweet people that, Invited me to their place, like you know, I got to do a post game to do, you know, I got to make sure I see all this. So, you don't, you probably don't see as much, but for the Wyoming game, that was perfect. So, shout out to Chris, thanks for watching. Shout out to Broadway Bank and all them, and um, we're good. Bro, chill,
0: <laughs> Andrew says, bro, chill, the fireworks are cool. Thank
1: you, Andrew. Thank you.
0: Are we supposed to get rid of the cannon too? do you really want me to answer that question or should we get back to Texas, Wyoming? So, uh, are you on the rag right now? No, I'm just, I've just been dealing with shit today. Uh, That's usually
1: what girlfriends tell me when they're on the rag or getting there.
0: Well, fortunately for me, I don't. By the way,
1: is that, is that so over the top saying on the rag? I'm sure that's like, I mean, am I going to get canceled and canned and you know, Vanished from life and thrown into the ocean for saying
0: that. Maybe. Where did that term come from, anyhow? Is was, was the only thing that there was before tampons is rags? Probably. Yikes. Imagine
1: this. Like, you know, women didn't start having periods with the invention of tampons. Imagine like 1820 and you're bleeding once a month. I mean, I, I thought about this as a kid. I thought, you know, I've talked about it. If I bled out of my package. Yes, like life's been tough enough. Like that, <laughs> if you to go forty years and every month you bled out of your dick tray, like that—that that would be and emotionally it like causes issues with you. We have enough emotional problems as guys like that would, but like the bleeding part, the physical part. You're in the car, and, and I mean, I would have wipes everywhere, have wipes all over this place.
0: <laughs> Hold on a second. Do you mean to tell me that you don't bleed out of your purple yogurt slinger once a month? <laughs> there may be something well, I else. bleed out of
1: that, but not my dick. But I'm a unicorn. So hey, speaking of unicorns, so we've been doing this, and I gotta have to give a huge shout out to encapsulate. Um, yes. So I didn't know about this stuff at all. So we are um we're gonna have someone join the family and it was a friend of mine, his friend started this company with a uh chemist, pretty much. Um and I didn't realize that mushrooms and not the the mushrooms that get you high, but like
0: not psilocybin.
1: Yeah, fungi or cremini or the stuff that you know I make a lot. I didn't realize how much of our body was that and how much these pills can like help you out. Like my acid reflux has been gone. My digestive system has been much better. Um, I feel better when I wake up. Like I kind of get going right away. This stuff's incredible.
0: You and I have both been trying these encapsulate pills, which are a blend of a number of different legal mushrooms, lion's mane, Criminy, Cordyceps. There's some others that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but much like with UKD.
1: Keep talking. I'm going to grab it. I'm listening. Yeah.
0: This is no bullshit, by the way. Anybody listening right now? He and I concurrently, because as you know, uh, guys' periods and um, digestive issues line up if they're hanging around one another too much. We have both had serious indigestion when we sleep at night causing Rats. us to lose sleep and also wake up with hurt stomachs in the morning it has completely eliminated that for me yep it has provided a level of focus yep and just feeling good overall to the degree that i can sense it when i'm just walking around in the day when i'm playing volleyball in the mornings when i'm doing these shows each and every day for texas sports unfiltered and it is really exciting to get to let folks know about Encapsulate and they're going through a little bit of a rebrand right now, repackage rebrand, and uh, they're going to be on board eventually. And it's it's going to be exciting to hear some of the results that others get to feel too as a result of trying this product out.
1: Yeah, it's it's in, in EncapsulateUSA.com. Uh, you can get it on Amazon too if you want, but... Dave's a great guy. And yeah, we're not getting paid for this. So Trey and I said, we'll try it out. We had a couple of mutual friends who said it'll change your life. And I take one every morning when I get up right away on an empty stomach. I take one usually after work around, you know, six or, you know, sometimes in the middle of work and it helps out. I mean, they say that it's six mushroom blend, cognitive, digestive, and immune support. I've gotten more than that, but certainly those three but the acid reflux at my age for that to be gone has been that alone did it for me. So
0: well I'm somebody who's pretty in touch with what I eat and yeah. how that affects me. I was backed into a corner with regards to what I was consuming that was no longer or that was wasn't <laughs> causing di- indigestion issues at night. And so this is giving me a little bit more freedom, a little bit more wiggle room, change that point of moderation with certain things where I can consume tiny amounts, especially earlier in the day. And I'm not going to pay for it overnight.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I love pizza and we go to Via or Bufalina or home slice and I love all three. And, but there, I mean, I had to be really careful with marinara sauce and, and I love making, I make a great spaghetti Pomodoro, Mm uh, very, uh, Three a la, let's say Michael White, not Michael White. Um, oh heck, who's the chef? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really good one, but I couldn't make it that much because I'd wake up at 3 a.m. and it's not like puking up the food, it's just acid reflux. It's vile. You know and, what?
0: I have a little bit more of now as a result of these pills, those scalloped potatoes that you do.
1: Yeah. No, the uh, potatoes, um, the uh all what is it uh uh, palm santa is what they are and yeah no those are those are legit and yeah i told you my ex-girlfriend you know she was more in love with me than i was with her and i've been on the flip side of that so that's not a brag like i've been the one calling you know so how you doing you know nine months later and she's like yeah i've moved on fucking loser um but like you know, this is one of those other way around, and I've been on that other side, so I felt bad. I would always take a call and talk to her. And finally, it was like that last call where I was like, "You know, how you doing? I mean, you miss me? I mean, who doesn't? You know, I, I miss myself when I sleep and wake up in the morning. Not at all." Um, and she and she right away went to, "Hey, so what's the Palmsana recipe?" <laughs> I thought, Wow. You are over me. This should have happened like on our second date, but it finally happened. So, yeah, now that's that's one of my best recipes. But, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I cook really rich food. And by rich, I don't mean expensive. I just mean it's very, you know, you know it. I mean, it's heavy and it's tasty and it's creamy and it's – um. that sounds weird. But, I mean, but it's really good. And And I got to an age where I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't make the stuff I want to make and encapsulate as I've made different stuff now and wake up in the morning and feel good, you know?
0: What has been ailing the Texas passing attack for three-quarters versus Wyoming? And maybe it's a different problem from the first half of the Rice game, but what was the issue with the passing attack on Saturday?
1: I mean, you hit it earlier. It's flyover defense. I mean, if there is a kryptonite for Steve Sarkeesian, who I think is a- great play caller and a very good offensive of mind. And I love the fact that we have him. And I think he has a program obviously moving in the right direction and he's the guy, but, um, but every coach has a little kryptonite and the inverted Tampa two, which is so Tampa two is what Kiffin ran, uh, not lane Monty, his dad with Tampa Bay. Um, and, you know, Tampa 2-1, you've got the quarter sagging in a different way. It's what Stoops uh, ran at Oklahoma in 2000, and kind of a modified version of it. But you've got your two safeties. Well, the inverted Tampa 2 literally has that middle guy playing the third, third, uh, you know, the deep third, and that is takes away the passing game. So I think Sark has to be able to find ways with intermediate stuff, whether it's 12 and in, um, corner routes, stuff within that five to 20-yard range to pick that apart, to bring them up, and then maybe double moves can break that up. But if you're running the inverted Tampa, Tampa 2 and, and running essentially a three deep, um, then you're not going to be able to throw deep very often. And so that that's what's going on. And so he's got to adjust to that and not make it just be swing passes or screen passes and hope Xavier can beat, you know, two white Wyoming guys on on angles.
0: I don't know if we're going to get this with Kansas because their defense isn't very good, but considering how sharp a defensive mind both Dave Aranda and Brent Venables are, we are going to see at least a decent chunk of this in those two games. And so up to not just Sark to design a game plan that opens things up, with the short intermediate routes, but also running the ball a little bit more and figuring out a way for Quinn Ewers and his receivers to get on the same page with those short to intermediate routes. And I was discussing this with BK a little bit earlier. My concern with that is that for every great game that Quinn Ewers has, when the lights are brightest, his footwork issues are the most glaring when he's clearly not as mentally locked in on things. And I give him credit. He stayed fired up. He was on his teammates. He was being a, a positive motivator when guys were doing good things on offense. He was fired up when he scored that rushing touchdown and was a big catalyst for what they were able to do in the fourth quarter, maybe after Xavier Worthy and him taking that pass to the flats to the house. But his inability to set his feet consistently is causing pretty consistent misfires, short and intermediate, and oftentimes, because he's not on the same page with those receivers because they're not totally sure where the ball is coming in, when he does put a ball on the money, it's almost like a little bit of a surprise to those guys. And that doesn't excuse them from not catching the football because this receiving core is top 10 in the country in drop passes. And that's a number that's probably only gotten better slash worse. Like they're maybe a little bit closer to number one to drop passes after the Wyoming game they need to find a remedy for that. And I think it's as simple as getting through to Quinn to set his feet when he throws versus relying on arm strength so often.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, they had a couple double slant concepts, which you read inside out and, um, he read it well. It just, the timing wasn't there. And I mean, some of that may have been footwork, but the timing in general, and usually timing does go back to your footwork as a quarterback. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's got to clean that up. They've got to make sure that it's so hard at this point. You're 3-0. You're getting a lot of love. You're third in the country. Um, by the way, this is one of those years. I said it in 2009. It pissed a lot of people off, but I was historically right. Before Bama, Texas, I said, neither one of these teams is an all-time national champion. They just weren't. Like, I mean, Greg McElroy is throwing for 47-whatever-it-was yards to win an NC Texas offensive line was average at best like that. They ain't they beat 95 Nebraska or 2005 Texas or 01 Miami. And that's kind of one of these years. I mean, Texas is does not feel like the third best team in the country. I don't know who you're going to put up there. I mean, no one feels top five, which is kind of cool, but they've got to understand they've got, they're just starting and they've got a long way to go. And so if you're resting on any laurels or, hey, you know, we can ride this out. No, they've got to get a lot better. And that that goes for every single person on that team, including Quinn. So his footwork in five weeks should be a lot cleaner than it is now, right?
0: Theoretically, but I feel like it's very similar to the footwork that we saw last year. Like, shouldn't it look better right now than it did at the end of last season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an easy habit to fall back into. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, to answer your question, is shit.
0: it's just so strange to me. And I know we talked about this after the Rice game. Like he is somehow maybe a little bit less athletic than he was when he was 15 pounds heavier. That's a false read based on that Rice game. We haven't seen him tripping over himself like he was in that first game. So thankfully that was cleaned up. But there's still a ways to go there. And I feel like part of the solution here is what we saw them do more of in the second half. And this is speaking to maybe a difference in Steve Sarkeesian versus years past where he realizes that Wyoming wasn't going to give them anything over the top, so he started pounding the rock more. And as a result, I think we have more of an answer at running back going forward, even when C.J. Baxter is fully healthy again and ready to contribute to this team, which may very well be this weekend against Baylor, Jonathan Brooks needs to be the number one guy. It's going to benefit C.J. Baxter to come in as that change of pace with how hard he runs the football. But Jonathan Brooks is the most well-rounded running back you have on the roster right now.
1: C.J. Baxter is the most talented back we have. Jonathan Brooks should be the starter. And I'm with you. I mean, because Brooks is not totally there. I'm sorry, Baxter's not totally there yet. He's a true freshman. He's about to play his second what? Thro- third game so um you know give him time I think he can be a really impactful guy for the team but yeah I mean heck we forget in 2005 do you know technically the third string tailback was
0: Jamal Charles
1: yeah Selvin Ramon, and Jamal and Jamal is getting a ton of carries when it counted against USC so I'm not saying that they're playing Georgia in the semis that and we've gotten to that point where C.J. Baxter gets 21 carries and Jonathan gets seven. You go, Whoa. well, it may be that time. But right now, Jonathan Brooks is your guy. And But also mix it up, too. I mean, I like the whole red cap package they had. Um, you know, the one thing I'll give Sark, and I do worry about the flyover defense being his kryptonite, um, but it's pretty obvious in the three games that he gave nothing pretty much schematically
0: hmm.
1: it tipped nothing in two games. And when he came out dialed up and it studied a bunch and was ready to go. So, Oh, you got to with that because you got to get through those games and you may treat someone like, I don't, we don't have to, I think that's always there for him if he has to go to it. And he almost did with Wyoming, but don't show anything, if, you know, the reason Boston College almost beat Miami in 2001, they weren't showing anything. We're not going to show you anything. And so we're going get, to get by, get the win, and and make sure that we hold bullets for real battles.
0: I do wonder, because we all became tired of this in the Tom Herman era, where Herman was insisting on rotating wide receivers at bizarre times, like no. crunch time of a oh, game, man. Colin Johnson and LJ Humphrey and Devin Duvernay were coming out for fucking scrubs. And I apologize if you were one of those receivers and you're listening right now, but you weren't. It was right. like
1: third and six in the fourth quarter in a tie fucking game. Right.
0: Exactly. I think Steve Sarkisian is almost swinging too far in the other direction now, where sometimes when he's not on the same page or when, Whether it's Xavier, and I realize that's probably the worst example because there's not going to be many times where Worthy is not on the field. He's clearly the number one in Sark's mind and in Quinn Ewer's mind as well. But if A.D. Mitchell whiffs or makes no effort on a block or Jordan Whittington has a moment where he doesn't look very good, rotate some of these other guys in. I mean, we have heard a lot about Jonte Cook over the last several months now to where at some point he needs an opportunity with the ones to show what he has to offer. I was disappointed Isaiah Nayor didn't play a little bit more against his former school on Saturday. He might have been able to provide a spark for you.
1: Has he got a pass yet this year?
0: Maybe with the second-teamers. Like He really hasn't gotten in much with the first-team offense. It's like even when they go four or five wide, one of those guys is almost always J.T. Sanders, and the other guy is a running back. And I realize that you are – Trying to play that confusing numbers game.
1: Yeah, you're you're messing with formation. So the DC or the upstairs guy is saying eleven personnel, eleven personnel, and it goes to five wide.
0: If you've got another, and maybe maybe he's holding on to this for a game where he actually needs it, but it can also be a strength to put an extra wide receiver out there too. If that guy's a game breaker, or he brings something that you know is going to be very difficult to defend. And maybe with the exception of Keelan Robinson, there's not a running back on this roster right now that I wouldn't be willing to sub out to give Ajante Cook a little bit of a chance.
1: I agree. No, I mean I want Jante out there over Jonathan Brooks or CJ Baxter. JT gives you a flex and a hybrid, so I'm all good with that. But yeah, go four wides with JT, and you know split them out.
0: Yep. Oh, how about this from CB? Not to get too far off track here. Jamal Charles was just named a pro football Hall of Fame modern era nominee. What the fuck does that even mean? Three hey. Casey Hampton, and Eric Metcalf.
1: What is a, I mean, that sounds like a participation trophy, but, um, but I love all those guys. And so, yeah. Not a bad trophy if, if you are, um, it's Pro Football Hall of Fame. That that's not your kid getting a soccer award for giving up nine goals and finishing in last place.
0: I mean, is not, modern era, is modern era nominee just nominee? Like they have the guys from the Veterans Committee, or maybe that's the Baseball Hall of Fame. I forget. That's
1: baseball, but that, that's kind of my take that it's probably a version of that. You know? Oh, okay. Um, I mean, Jamal was a hell of a fucking hell of a back man.
0: They showed the stats on Monday Night Football last night. Yeah may have been before Chubb suffered the injury, that Jamal Charles is tied for first for the most average yards per carry over a certain number of carries in the history of the league.
1: Yeah, no, Jamal, I mean, he could be a Hall of Famer. And football's not like baseball. You know, baseball is like you talking about the noise at DKR. I mean, talk about a cranky old fuck. Um, you know, I, but I like that about the baseball hall of fame, you know, the NBA hall of fame, you, by the way, you were awarded, uh, the Naismith hall of fame today. I oh, no, to
0: hey, well, every, only every other person who has ever played basketball <laughs> professionally or amateurly is a part of that uh, hall of fame. So it was only a matter of time it, for me.
1: It's so basketball, like think about the basketball culture we grew up with in the basketball culture right now. What a bunch of fucking pussies. <laughs> like when we grew up, like it was Charles Oakley and Bill Cartwright like throwing haymakers at each other. Like basketball players King. were as tough as anyone.
0: Oh, dude! What, what? God, was I watching this with you? It was Lakers Celtics from like the early to mid 1980s, and there was a straight up clothesline. <laughs>
1: oh, clothesline! No, it was Rambitz, right?
0: The, rambics, yeah. <laughs> was the clothesline
1: and McHale and these guy. I mean, no, there. I mean, Dennis Johnson, Danny Ainge, like. And the funny thing, too, is you're like, oh, Danny Ainge. Uh, Danny Ainge is probably 6'3". Most of us see him at a bar like, I ain't touching that guy. Like, I mean, these guys are big guys who actually knew how to fight.
0: That Rambis clothesline. Wasn't, basketball,
1: but but the basketball culture, the fighting culture, or just the culture in general, it, it, it shows with everything they do.
0: Well, that Rambis clothesline, which was clearly intentional, it wasn't oh, even... It wasn't even a technical foul. It was just two no. shots from the charity strike.
1: Yeah, not ejected. And and by the way, so not to get too old guy here, there's a middle ground with all this. And sure. that was too far for us. But like most things with legislation, it always, it, it, if you go the safety route, it goes there and goes too quickly and never turns around and never stops. It's about, can you go from five miles per hour instead of 20 Until, you know, I mean, at some point, these basketball guys will have, like, you know, helmets uh, around their head and elbow pads.
0: By the way, I did some math to check out what you and I talked about a couple weeks ago with regards to the running clock in college football and whether that was having an impact on lengths of games. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, I can only find stats from 2021. So maybe last year there was a, pretty big jump in average length of game in college football but in 2021 the average length of game in college football was something like 326 now are we
1: talking the length of the game or the length of
0: the broadcast because the
1: broadcasts feel the same length
0: the length of the game which is it's very similar the length of the game
1: well no it's not if you add four minutes to commercials And go to commercial every five minutes.
0: It's from the start. It's from the opening kickoff all the way to when the clock strikes zero in the fourth quarter. Okay. Which will give you a decent indication of how much time is being shaved off. Yeah. So in 21, it was three hours and 26 minutes was the average length of game. Now, I wasn't able to get every game this college football season. And for some reason, nobody has done this math that I could find until I was literally going in each freaking box score to get these game lengths and then add them up and then divide them properly. The average length of game based on like 20 to 30 games that I looked at this year from top 25 competition, it was a five-minute difference. The average length of game is 321. That is not the difference in time that we were essentially promised when this change was made over the summer. Hey,
1: and I was fair about this. I mean, you know... You, you guys get tax breaks that piss me off because, you know, I was smart and and didn't impregnate someone I shouldn't. Um,
0: that you know of in boy, Spain. There are, a,
1: there are probably a couple kids who know more about UT baseball that are now, shit, like 20 years old in Spain. Um, fucking oh, kid is a
0: UT baseball prodigy.
1: Get that um but uh yeah no um yeah right you know there's like some kid who has billy bates on his wall no i didn't do that you did and, from, and by the way look at china and japan like there are countries that are dying right now because they either had legislation or people just stop fucking um or having kids it, it could be a serious problem for everything the economy the country and so I'm glad y'all are doing that, which is why Uncle Kev's here to be a babysitter and be a be a bastion of light for these people. But for me, it wasn't the right deal. I don't get tax breaks. You do. I I understand why you want time shaved off, but this isn't doing it. Like if they actually did it, which is what I was saying. Like I was with you. Like a four and a half hour game, which we had a couple of those, or a four hour game. Even for me at home, the homebody thinking, all right, because for me, I want to move to the next game. Um, Like this is taking too long. So there were ways to do this and they didn't do it. I mean, this is a fugazi to where typical corporation, you know, I mean, I'd love how, you know, time order cable will say stuff like, you know, we're really working on making your experience better. No, you're not. You're charging you more and the experience is worse. so. So, God, I'm an old man too. What? What an old man show this is.
0: Look, you it gets called that every time you and I do a show. We we just need to accept our reality here.
1: Oh, does it? Are, are the little keyboard gangsters like, you know, hey, those are old men.
0: No, it's usually family members that tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have me on your side now, by the way. We were sold a bill of goods. Yeah. Fuck you guys for getting that passed under the guise of speeding games up when all you did is jam a couple more commercial breaks in each hour. Here's the deal. 12 minutes, like anything, be incremental.
1: Don't go all the way. Don't go to 12 teams from poor. Like, start at 12 minutes, maybe 10 minutes, um, and you can run the clock. You know what really bugs me the most? If you're out of bounce, you're out of bounce. Mm. I used to beg to get out of bounds. One, I didn't like to get hit, but also keep the you know, let's conserve the clock here. Um, you know, we, we don't have Cordell Stewart, we don't have all these incredible comebacks in college without stopping the clock. We're losing possessions, and it's also why you know, Michigan or Texas or a lot of these schools, you know, it, it's 10 10. It's like, well, we just, you know, I just took our bra off. Um, you know, I mean, we just got going here. Um, and not not to give Texas or Michigan any any to scapegoat them because they didn't play well and the other teams did, but like it's okay. Like, let's keep the product the same, shave out the other stuff. The other thing too is that like baseball and the NFL, but especially baseball. I don't know if you noticed with replay, they've cut out all this where we're going to spend 10 minutes on it. No, the guy's fucking out. And, I mean, they'll go to replay and 10 seconds later, yep, yeah, we got it, yep, yeah, he's out, Uh, moving on. Save time that way.
0: One of the more encouraging aspects of the minor leagues trying out the robo-umps is it's not the robo-umps making every ball and strike call, but you have a certain number of objections that you can make if you're the batter. I don't know if the pitcher has the ability to do so too, but the batter essentially points behind home plate. Timeout. out? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you step out of the box, but you point yeah. back. Yeah. You, you get
1: one, get, like, you get one on each side.
0: Yeah. And so the the ump looks back. Is it a ball or a strike? It's either green or red. And then they move on. It's yeah. not some long Oh,
1: oh, oh, that. I got you in minor leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I mean – I'm cool moving that direction. I'm, I'm not so old man to where, I mean, I had mentioned the baseball stuff for the most part, all of it's been really good. And there's some college football stuff we could do. I'm not saying I want it to look like 1988, um, but do it the right way and don't change the product, especially if the end result is the same. They're not helping you out as a father or two who's got a very busy life. You know, I don't matter. I'm at home, like this Saturday, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m., go ride my bike, get a swim, and from 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. until 3 a.m., I'm on my couch. Great college football weekend. So pumped about it. I mean, there are tons of games. We'll get into more uh, maybe today, but also on Thursday. But I'm not the guy you're looking at. I, I get that. Um, but you are a big college football fan, have been forever, and you have a life and a family, and, and um, they haven't helped you out. They're acting like they are.
0: Now, college football doesn't get started on Saturday until 11. Would you like to come to Vivi's volleyball game on Saturday? I am the head coach of this team, and after a single week, I've had multiple parents, other coaches, Kids from other teams, parents from other teams, come up and tell me that I'm thought of as the Nick Saban of second and third grade girls volleyball. <laughs> so it, it is truly a display. It is a scene.
1: I love Vivian to death. You know that I'm a good uncle, and she I, she's blown my blown my mind here in terms of just like. Seeing her grow up, and now we can have conversations. And she's smart, and she listens, and and all this stuff. Uh, No, I'm not going to that. I'd rather watch my parents fuck.
0: Oh come on.
1: Well, that is your parents
0: fucking. Yeah. Well,
1: well, they're both still, you know, still pretty tip top. You know, I mean, uh, no, no, I'd rather go to Vib's volleyball game, but I don't want to go watch. Like, only parents or coaches should be there. No one wants to go to a six-year-old boys soccer game, all right? No one wants to go to – I mean, I remember the basketball games that I would play and like, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, and I would dominate because, like, no, no one's that good at that age. It was like – there's, like, three good athletes, and that's it. Three, three people with good hand-eye coordination who steal the ball every time and go do a layup and – Oh, he finished with his left handed. Not really cool. Not really. Like, what am I doing at, at 10 a.m.?
0: There was one kid on Calvin's basketball team last year. I'm not even kidding. This kid had Steph Curry range for six and seven year olds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what does that mean? 10 feet?
0: Yeah, like 10 to 12 feet. It was impressive. Nobody else is shooting from like more than three or feet out. And it's with that that we welcome. Well- quickly my
1: question is because I want to add Jeff in on this what did this Steph Curry's mom look like
0: Steph Curry's mom was not Steph Curry's mom <laughs> dad was dad definitely had Papa Marinovich vibes going on where <laughs> son was really hearing from it from dad when he wasn't as on the money with this shot as dad thought he should have been Oh, dad, dad's Marinovich. Jesus. yes, Kid, I'm not even kidding you when I say this, because I talked to the dad about it. And I'm like, why is your kid so good at shooting? This is insane. He's like, oh, he's got a shooting coach. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking sticks. Why does he have a shooting coach? Just let him enjoy playing basketball. Cause it was also obvious the kid didn't like playing basketball very much, even though he was good at it.
2: Uh, this guy
1: right here knows all about this, right? Jeff.
2: Shooting coach at six usually leads to coke problem at nineteen. So, (laughs) Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. That's why you know my daughter with sports right now. uh, We just let her do whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not taking it serious at all. Like just you know, she she doesn't want to shoot. Like we did basketball this year. She doesn't want to shoot. Right? She just wants to like rebound and pass. I'm like, that's great. You just be the best rebounder and passer you want to be.
1: That's awesome, but it also speaks to her as a human
0: being. Yeah, you know?
2: yeah, she, um, she's awesome. Willingness to share. She yeah, wouldn't do. I, she wouldn't do things like make her display name a Michael Vick alias like I did today. So I know.
1: Ron, Ron Mexico. <laughs> what's going on? So hold on. Was that the thing where did he? What, what was he good Like herpes treatment? Or herpes.
2: Something? Yeah, got herpes, and uh, should realize that he was checking into hotels using the alias Ron Mexico
0: herpes treatments in Mexico where you can get just about anything legally
2: at their pharmacias. I don't think he was getting the herpes treated in Mexico but
1: yeah he was he was getting it treated in Virginia he was using oh you know
2: what Kevin he he had given I think I remember he had given some gal a, a an STI if you will and they were trying to figure out okay well what hotel was it and they figured that's how they figured out he was using the alias Ron Mexico she knew the hotel and yeah it's a little stroll down memory lane
1: let's not get on michael vick because uh derek jeter spread that around a little bit too including to jessica alba
0: hey i will take your word for that one was that a part of his uh next day gift bag some herpes yeah it was an ointment Hmm.
1: um that and a free (laughs) dvd that was it (laughs)
0: A free DVD of the nineteen ninety seven World nineteen ninety eight World Series. One of those com-
2: commemorative
0: DVDs it was signed by Mariano Rivera.
2: Hey Trey, I had an uh, Am I the a hole moment today that I need I need your advice on. Uh, not
0: I always love other people's Larry David yeah. moments. Let's not
2: it. not that I because f- I forgot to text you back this weekend. That's beside the point. I am the a hole for that. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in line at Pet Smart today getting some dog food. And you know it's probably there's three people in front of me I think, and I realized this girl was in there with her dog. It's kind of a, like a it's a pup, but he's a mastiff of some type. It's a huge dog. Yeah. Well, I noticed that this dog just lays. I mean two johnsonville brought size steaming turds in the checkout line <laughs>
1: yeah. and i
2: smell it first i'm like kind of oblivious to what's going because i mean i'm i've got a hand i got a handful of you know yeah 12 cans of dog food i'm, I'm trying not to drop them but and your sn- nose still
1: works My
2: nose, my sniffer is working fine i don't have a bucky godbolt sniffer my sniffer is working great and i'm like what is that smell and i look down and i'm like oh i see dog turds well the woman in front of me i see her foot's getting dangerously close i'm like do i warn her that there's a dog turd there i'm like Shh. and i think no i'm not because surely she can see it well she didn't step in either of the two turds but there was a we'll call it a shrapnel turd shrapnel if you will that she stepped in and i was like you know i'm kind of an a-hole because i didn't warn her about it but i would assume that she would have smelt it or saw it to avoid stepping in turd shrapnel
1: was it her dog Jeff
2: no no it was it was okay. some other lady's dog the lady had gone Probably to get like warned a her. if it was, yeah.
1: if it, was a, if it was a lady's dog I hope you know she falls face face forward into it
2: right right um she Did had the, lady the, the, made no effort to clean the mess up no that's the thing she had gone to like find a plastic bag or something to go to go pick it up with oh I see but see <laughs> I didn't feel like an a-hole because the lady was upset that she stepped in dog crap but she got a paper towel. She got a paper towel and, like, wiped her foot off mm. and then threw it in the trash can, like, at the checkout. And, obviously, you can smell it. It's it's dog crap. Yeah. And she says to the to the girl working the register, she goes, I'm sorry, you're going to have to smell that all day. And the girl working the register goes, no, there's a trash can outside where you can put that. Yeah. So she, had to, she had to dig the paper towel, which I didn't feel bad for having to dig the paper towel out of the trash can. That's common
0: sense that you don't throw a shit stained paper towel away inside. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I look look, guys, I know it's pet smart. Keep your goddamn fucking dogs at home. I love dogs. I love animals. I grew up with a ton of both. My mom is an animal nut. We had three dogs and three cats at all times.
0: Your mom is the only person I know who's had pet raccoons. She's Say
2: what? Here.
1: She no, Jeff. There's a picture of my place, and Trey can attest. My mom had like 20 pet raccoons.
2: Could so have this hold is- the
1: baby in front of the mom, and the mom would leave. My mom's <laughs> fucking psycho with stuff.
2: So this isn't like the episode of King of the Hill where Bobby adopted the pet raccoon, and then it scratched Lady Bird and Hank got all pissed off. <laughs> yeah,
1: I've seen that.
2: No, you no. don't listen to raccoons,
0: though.
1: <laughs> you don't. But like the mom, I mean, like, so I grew up with animals. So I say that to all, and my mom would also say, keep your fucking pets at home. Yeah. You don't need them in the fucking plane. You don't even pet smart. Um, Now, we've talked about this. If you're at Shoal Creek Saloon, right? Don't go indoors with the dog. Don't go to the pisser with the dog. If you're on the patio and you got a lab, that's not the end of the world, right?
0: I agree with that. And I do give a little bit of a pass at the pet store too, but you need to be, I get it. you need to be very cognizant though, in a situation like that, if you're the owner and I get that she was trying to find something to clean the mess up
2: with after, after she was notified, she was uh, oblivious to the fact that her dog had, you know, dropped a couple stink pickles right there in front of the store. What happened to her nose, Jeff? I don't know, man. It's you just be a responsible dog owner. You know, that's all I'm asking. Yeah.
0: So, yes, one, she needed to be aware and not told that her dog had dropped some Lincoln logs on the Petco floor. <laughs> but after that happens, and you need to step away from the dog for a minute to go find the proper materials to clean it up, you also have to make sure everybody in the general vicinity understands what's going on there. So that nobody accidentally steps into it. Should you have maybe said something to the woman that who was getting dangerously close to the shit? Sure. But ultimately that's not your responsibility. It's the pet owner's responsibility to ensure that nobody gets near that area.
2: So woman stepping in doo-doo shrapnel, not my problem. Okay, cool. Thank thank you. you, Thank
1: you. You are not, you are not a bad guy for that. I mean, you're a bad guy for using the alias Ron Mexico, but that's a different yeah. deal, Jeff.
2: Hey, if I send someone down the Google machine who didn't know that story today, then I did my did my good deed for society today. What hey, was Jeff? Hey,
1: Jeff any follow up on the uh, last time we did a, a podcast together the um, the whole diarrhea story?
2: No, Trey. Have you you seen anything on that? I haven't. And trust me, I've been trying to find, trying to look at stuff and see if there's anything floating out there. I haven't seen anything on. Uh,
1: Here's one thing: diarrhea I saw, plane. I saw some hot. I'm guessing with Tina, <laughs> who um, went off. I I didn't even I, I couldn't even look at it. Um, didn't even want to. But I apparently went off in an airplane again, kind of like our other one we talked uh-huh. about, not the diarrhea one but the you're an alien, um, is this going to be like the attention getter for crazy women now where they know they can just go ape shit like in an aisle and it's going to go viral and next thing you know, I got like 200K from OnlyFans, you know, I mean, is, is that, because I'm guessing, that I mean, it, all these trends start this way, right?
2: What is this CB's saying? Don't be like the lady at Tim Hortons and throw poop at the cashier. What's that all about?
1: Whoa, CB.
2: See, CB, now I, now I got to look that up. So some lady at Tim Hortons just had a handful of Duke and threw it at the cashier.
1: Jeff, are you looking at comments?
2: I can see the chat, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know what's funny? This is so great. This is the first time I've been doing this and I realized on the right I can hit comments and look at them.
2: That, I Don't feel bad, Kevin. It took me like you know a good week week and a half before i realized i'm like man nobody comments on this show and then i it was on private chat then I'm like well, let me go to comments and then it's yeah just uh, yeah the endless, endless stream here no i can go
1: back to private
2: chat the story the story cb was telling me that happened several years ago so that's i'll just look that up later i'm a, i'm assuming we're talking uh college football at some point
1: yeah, we are. Um, hey, can, can I start with this? So we're talking about the the inverted Tampa two, the flyover. We've talked about it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Could be Sark's kryptonite if there is one. You know, that's probably it. Uh, how worried are you, and how much how much adjustment can or alterations can Texas make to actually work within that scheme?
2: I'm I'm not too worried about it because this is the first time, kind of post. Post beat. Well, this is the first time post Bijan Rojo. This is probably the best I've seen him adjust to it. Just from the standpoint of when you when you go against that three that three safety look, the best way to attack it is you've got to hit your, your downhill run game. It's got to hit quick and it's got to hit hard, and because you don't want to give that middle that middle safety, you don't want to give that safety time to figure out. That's why like teams that run a wide zone. If you if you're a wide zone team or even a, a zone team it's really hard against that three safety look to run the football because it invites you to run the ball right like you look at it think okay we've got a light box but the way that middle safety fits the run uh and i'm not saying saying this to you kevin i'm just saying this in general for everybody listening the yeah. way that's the way that safety fits the run he fits it so well if you've got the right guy like greg Eisworth at iowa state was so good at that middle safety position Jalen catalan was that guy at arkansas they fit the run so well that all of a sudden, before you realize it, you're behind the change. It's like, dude, it's third and nine. Like, what the hell happened? Right. Um, so the best way to do that is if you've got a running game, even a zone running game, you can run some inside, some tight zone that can hit downhill, hit hard, hit fast. Don't give that middle, that, that middle safety has to declare. And if he's got to declare without being 100% sure of where his fit is, chances are he's going to fit it wrong. Like the run, if you look at the run Jonathan Brooks had, not the 20 yarder, But it might have been the 20-yarder. I don't remember, but it was a run in the second half where or the third quarter where uh, he hits it or in the fourth quarter, excuse me, he hits it and you see him, if he's like a half step earlier getting through the second level, he's going to split the safeties and score. Yeah, They just ended up beating him to the mark, but that's ideally the goal of what you want. If you can hit it right, uh, you can get it to where the middle safety is going to misfit the run. And then it's pretty much, two-on-one with the running back and the safety, or in some cases, one-on-one with the running back and the safety.
1: What about more inter- intermediate passing, too? So, I mean, Tampa 2. We talked about Tampa 2 with Kiff and what they do, and you've got uh, literally usually a middle backer, but more of a safety playing that middle third. There's got to be some areas where there are 15-yard ends where let's, let's beat them that way, right?
2: That so I'm just looking at the pro football focus numbers. That w- that's what jumped out to me as what the problem was against Wyoming. If you look at Quinn Ewers throwing the ball uh in the medium, what they classify as a medium range, which is 10 to 19 yards uh, through the air, the, the ball is traveling two for six for 30 yards. Now your average depth of target is 14 yards, which is about where you want to be. um but no no turnover worthy plays for Quinn throwing the ball in the air that distance. So you know he's he's throwing it pretty much some most of the time to where you know his guy's gonna catch it or it's gonna be in some overthrows. It wasn't necessarily trying to throw it to the to the other team, but he necessarily wasn't on top of those throws either. Um, so that to me is really that that intermediate game. If you look at those numbers and then the numbers from the Bama game, Kevin, that's really where the disparity is because it seems like you know, the short game wasn't let me go back and look at this real quick. So short passes from the line of scrimmage to nine yards, five for seven, 31 yards and a touchdown behind the line of scrimmage uh, four for five, 70 yards and a touchdown. Obviously a lot of that's the, the throw to worthy on the screen. So the, the short game, the quick game was, was there for them. It's just kind of that intermediate game where you can stretch that defense a little bit, get them to adjust their coverages and then kind of exploit their, uh, their matchup. That's why I thought about this today. When we were recording a longhorn blitz podcast, it, it, my brain was just kind of firing a little bit. I thought, you know, that's that's what that's what gives me hope about Sart going to the SEC because you know we've seen Barry Odom I and mean, there's some defensive coordinators that run some form of that three safety look, that flyover look. In the, and Odom's not there anymore, but you don't see it a ton in the SEC because yeah, typically, right. typically you've got better personnel on the back end to where yep. you trust yourself. If you're My a man. yeah, if you're a cover, if you're a cover three guy, you know you play cover three, but more often than not. In the SEC, like you can go look at Saban or Kirby Smart or whoever, most of the defensive guys in that conference, they're going to run some form of quarters coverage. And quarters quarters at some point, it's going to devolve into man coverage, which is, you know, it's not going to be – not everybody's like LSU where you're just going to play man just straight up across the board because they've had studs there for years and could do it. But I almost like that because, dude, for Sark, if Sark can pick apart – and granted, his defense is not what it was a few years ago – Man, if you can exploit one-on-ones against the Nick Saban defense and hit the vulnerable spots there, you can pretty much do it to anybody in that league. So I almost think schematically Sark's a better fit to attack the SEC than he is the Big 12 because you see so much flyover or some, everybody's kind of got their own spin on it, right? Like Oklahoma runs it, and you say, well, why Texas, you know, why, why was Texas so successful against Oklahoma last year? Well, because they couldn't stop a nosebleed last year. Yeah. They, Personnel they couldn't way.
1: fucking line up Jeff
2: yeah it was it was it's the worst Oklahoma defense I've seen in my lifetime and that's that's saying something because some oh man some of those Mike Stoops defenses and even those last couple Alex and Grinch defenses were nothing to write home about but uh no bottom line for me is I'm I'm not worried about it because I have seen Sark adjust to it my bigger concern is starting this week because I've got a feeling like look if Baylor if Baylor didn't kind of shoot their wad, have their last gasp, that death rattle against Utah, it's coming this week. I mean, part of me thinks it was against Utah coming off the loss to Texas State. Like, hey, you can you'll beat a ranked team at home and kind of get some momentum back. Um, if that wasn't their last gasp, it's going to be this weekend. I would think Dave Aranda with the pressure packages is going to throw all kinds of different stuff at this offensive line. Yeah. And Quinn against the Blitz actually has been really good. What you worry about is... You know your your protection schemes and the fact that guys have to understand pre snap where to go with the football and post snap when things get muddied. How does this group communicate? How do they change things on the fly? Especially now you don't have that safety net. You have know, DJ Campbell struggling. You had the safety net. Hey, okay, we could put Cole Hudson in there who's a little maybe not as ta- not as talented but a little more experienced. You don't have that safety net now. So I don't worry as much about the the three the three safety look as much as I do what kind of pressure packages. Some of these defensive minds in this league can dial up. It's going to start with Dave Aranda on Saturday.
1: Good. Good stuff, man. If Baylor did shoot their wide, I hope it was consensual.
2: Well, that's uh, that's another story for another day. We don't. Oh yeah, that's
0: on me, right, Trey? <laughs> yeah, that's on you. It's not on Art Bryles at all. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm the the one one who You'll did never that. Don't ever show up to an Oklahoma football game in Sooners gear, please. <laughs> I have a feeling that I don't have to worry about that. Hey, Jeff, Kevin and I talked about this a little bit earlier. It seems pretty obvious at this point that even when CJ Baxter comes back and is fully healthy or healthy enough to contribute, that Jonathan Brooks needs to be the number one guy going forward for the foreseeable I, future.
2: I feel like he's earned the right, Trey. You know, I even thought that going into the year, if they were gonna have a guy who was gonna emerge as the bell cow, then it was gonna be him because not and not just because he's waited his turn. But you look at it on, on a per-snap basis when he's gotten the football, he, and and, and I've looked at this, you can cut it two ways. When he's gotten the football, he's been productive. And you can say, well, most of the time when he's gotten the football, it's been late in games, right, when the game is out of hand or whatever, and then he's in there. Right. So you can say he's running against a worn-down defense, but the other side of that is when he's been in the game, your you're running game is not very exotic when he's gotten his opportunities. It's pretty – you're just running pretty base stuff, trying to drain clock and get out of there. And the fact that I think going into the year, I think last year he was at about 7.7, I think, yards after contact per attempt last year uh, with, you know, the defense kind of knowing you want to run the football and you're running your base stuff. That gave me hope. Okay. Once you extrapolate that out the whole season, is Jonathan Brooks going to be, B be, be, be John Robinson? No, but you're talking about a guy who's probably already a top, Five top three back in the league, so nobody's gonna be, be Sean. uh But I felt like he had the op, he had the chance to be the the bell cow for this offense. And the other thing I like about it too, we saw this a little bit the other night. He's one of those guys that seems to get stronger, get into more of a rhythm as the game goes on. There's just some backs that are that way, I man. The the classic example that I always use, man, Eddie George. Eddie George was so much of a better running back in the third and fourth quarter. Than he was in the first quarter, just yeah. now part of that was he was 6'3 and you know 230, so you know he needed to pick up a little bit of his team. But once kind of, Cedric Benson was a little bit that way, too, like once you
1: Henry, Jeff. yeah,
2: once lathered up a little bit, uh, and you're running harder in the fourth quarter than you did in the first quarter, more assertive, more sure of yourself in the fourth quarter than you did in the first quarter, and you've had a chance to work on that, wear down that defense a little bit now you're you're talking about a guy that can be really effective so for all all those things that's that's why i really like jonathan brooks i I just felt like you know let him have the opportunity you can sprinkle cj baxter in there you know keelan robinson's kind of got his role but if anybody was going to emerge as a bell cow this year i felt like it it should be him until he proves that he's not that guy
0: and i'd like to see sark run the ball a little bit more not only on early downs but also earlier in the game too up they have been a team that is trying to pass to set up the run or maybe pass to set up the pass or to set up Quinn Ewers feeling comfortable throughout the course of the game. But maybe especially because Cole Hudson is not going to be there for at least the next month and D.J. Campbell is. He is better at run blocking right now than he is pass blocking. So in a way, you're helping to protect Quinn Ewers and D.J. Campbell a little bit more in the process.
2: Yeah, I, I was interested to go back and look at kind of the early down numbers. You know, last year, Texas was a top five offense in the country at their if I can not knock, knock my microphone down. They were they were top five in the country last year at the percentage of their first downs that came on first and second down. Like you can look at the third down conversions, and they weren't a great third down offense last year, but they didn't need to be because on a lot of drives, especially when they got into a rhythm and could run a little tempo and, and everything was clicking, they didn't bother getting a third down. Yeah. Um. You know, this year they've gotten themselves in more third downs if you just look at the sample size, and they haven't been very good. Like they're they're getting the third down more. I think their their success rate. They're probably uh, talked about it today. I think they're like in the mid forties, low fifties nationally in terms of percentage of first downs on first and second down. So early down success rate last year was a big deal for them, but I went back and looked at the numbers against Wyoming and I, you know, just watching the game. I mean, it seemed like they, they were not in very favorable down and distance to go on third down, but you look at it guys. I mean, their average to go distance on third down is only 6.3 yards. I mean, that's, that's where you're averaging. I mean, that's doable. And it's not like you were in a ton of, you know, 10 plus. I mean, you had, you know, a third and 15, but third and seven, third and seven, third and one, third and 10, third and six, two, nine, nine, one, five. So your third down distance is manageable. To me, it goes back to when you've got short yardage situations, that's the stuff, you know, I'm, I'm with Sark. Like in the fourth quarter, when you're trying to close a game out, that's when you need to run the ball. When the opponent knows you're going to run it. But also, the opponent knows you're probably going to run it when you've got third and one, third and two, third and three. Uh, You're probably going to try to run the football. That's where this offensive line struggled last year, and this year hadn't been that much better, at least based on the three-game sample that we've got. So I think probably, I don't know, Trey, to me, what you're saying kind of leads me to believe, and it's tough because Ryan Sanborn is such a weapon for you right now. Do you need to almost work yourself into a state mentally if you're Sark where you're thinking I've got to treat this like four down territory. You know, and make sure my play call on first down is really good that I, I I call something that gets us, whether it's a run or a pass, that can get us a certain percentage of the way to the to a first down. It's almost a guaranteed play to pick up what well, whatever yardage you determine kind of in that three to five yard range. And then the playbook the entire playbook's open on second and third down. So I think just say- I, I think just being more efficient on first down, however you do it, they need to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean that's what they were doing on Saturday night against Wyoming. They were zero for six on third downs in the first half, but they were two for two on fourth downs with that Savion Red package, that Red Cat package.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh, yeah, I, I and I really like the Wildcat package because you can do so much stuff out of it. Yeah, you really can. Uh, somebody on our board said since it's Brooks and Red in the backfield on that, can you call it the uh, the Shawshank package?
0: <laughs> that's well oh done. i love that that's very creative well yeah always. yes that's what but, i mean guys there,
1: there's so many things they could do with that you could put jt sanders back there you could put woodington back there you could you know motion Whittington out um i don't know how much red can throw but getting back to sanborn you know we always talk about uh because he has been a weapon you're right i mean yeah. that was definitely a good addition we always talk about the the life as backup quarterback or punter in the NFL. Not a bad life, man. You you went to Stanford, so you have those connections. And I don't know if he graduated or not. He did, now, yeah. Yeah, but now you're at UT punning, and that's that's a great life. You know, he's going down the fourth street probably after games and like, how you feeling? I feel fine. Yeah, I'm not bruised up at all. Like, you know, I'm good to go. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, I, I see some people in the chat saying that's why Sark needs to run the ball. the 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 adjustment that he made in this game, you know, late late in the fourth quarter when they got in twelve personnel and just ran the football. Yeah, and they did a lot, uh, some different stuff with it. I mean, I love the fact that they run so much split zone and mm-hmm. split flow. Whether it's JT, sometimes it's Keelan Robinson, sometimes it's Whittington, wherever the motion guy is. Uh, Gunner Helm quietly, you know, I, I said this in the preseason. For Sartre to run as much 12 personnel as he did last year, number one, I didn't think he was, but two, if that's still going to be a package that you're going to go to, you know, 40-ish percent of the time, Gunnar Helm's got to earn the right for you to be in 12 personnel. In other words, you you can't take A.D. Mitchell or Jordan Whittington or somebody off the field, a capable receiver to put the extra tight end in there. I think that's a tribute to the job Gunnar Helms done, but it, it, it speaks to the versatility of this offense. I know Sarks used that word a lot, but I asked him in the preseason, if this offense from a personnel grouping standpoint, was this going to be his most versatile offense he's had since he's been here? He didn't even let me finish the question. And he was like, Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Talking about just the different personnel groupings they can get in. You know, he went into that game thinking, Hey, Wyoming secondary is not very good. We're going to be able to, to spread them out. Use our talented receiver, kind of overwhelm them. The fact that they had a game plan, Craig Bull did, to insulate their secondary and help from a coverage standpoint by dropping more guys. Okay, that went away, but not very many teams in the country guys had the luxury where they can say, you know what, that's not working. Let's just win this game by lining up in twelve personnel, running the football. Yeah, like that's you know, if this team ends up going where it looks like it's got a chance to go none of us are going to remember what the fricking spread was against Wyoming, oh. you know, but that to me is the big takeaway. The fact that Sark adjusted and this offense has enough pieces that you can say, yeah, you know, we, we were an 11 personnel offense for two thirds of this game, but we want to finish it by being an 11 personnel running the football downhill. And they did it. And, and yeah, that Wyoming defensive front, that's not a bad defensive front. That was a top 40 defense in the country against the run. They were only giving up two and a half yards of carry coming into the game. So it's not like, It's not like you were running through U of H or go look at some of the numbers Baylor's had against the run this year. It's not very good. Uh, The fact that they were able to do it, man, that's as a Texas fan, that should give you a lot of hope for what this team could be. If, if Sartre can continue to have that feel for the game, like he's had through these first three games where he can make adjustments and the adjustments are right.
1: But Jeff, don't you also think I mean it, just with seeing Sark and what he's done, because he made adjustments, he did go to 12 personnel, they started running different different concepts to actually work and just to run through their ass. But don't you also think that Sark has been saving stuff with rice and Wyoming? I mean, he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's only showing so much. And I laugh when people are like, Whoa, I mean, the offense looks so much better against Alabama. I mean, if you look at any good offensive mind or defensive mind or, hell, special teams coach, I mean, you save as many bullets as possible. What killed Miami to go old school here, Jeff, and Steve Wash would tell you, you know why Miami's two-point conversion was knocked down by Pat Terrell in the 31-30 game, Catholics versus Convicts in 1988?
2: Didn't they run it the week before against Michigan?
1: They had to come back against Michigan and had to run a two-point conversion. Two two point conversions, yeah. With that, you only have so many two point conversions that you think are clever and can open people up. And, and well, you can't, you can't no be life. like
2: you, you can't be like Tom Herman and only have one, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, the Sam Ellinger power run, yeah. I, I, I know what that play is.
2: <laughs> no, because you remember the game against SC, uh, his first year when he was talking about you know why you yeah, know, I got, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Well, yeah. we, we ran our two point play, like, what do you mean you're like. Yeah. Don't have another one. Regular two point play. <laughs> don't don't you don't you work gold? Doesn't goal line a period you work on Thursday? Aren't you Mensa? <laughs> Mensa meathead. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna run low on that kind of stuff. But, no sarcasm, and same and stuff. Like yeah, that's why I don't worry about the opening script. Like you know, it's I would much rather be concerned about my team. Not if I'm a Texas fan. I'd much rather be concerned about my team not being able to finish games in the fourth quarter. than I would be worried about starting games slow. Agreed. You know, but I'm not worried about the script because man, go look, go back and look at search script against Alabama. I mean, they start out, they start out in, in empty formation and throw a, a screen to CJ Baxter. Where he's got two blockers in front of him, go 11 yards on a little, you know, on a little, uh just a little stick concept to the field. Like it's, it's that kind of stuff, and then they were off and running, and yeah, did they get points out of it? No, but they were able to move the football, like, you get yourself some confidence, and that's, I felt like Sart tried to do some of that, because to me, the key there is, can, how quickly can you get Quinn into a rhythm? I feel like at this point, like, Sartre knows the kind of game he needs to call from the jump to get Quinn into a rhythm. And, and it's it's a lot of quick game stuff, getting the ball out of his hands quick, uh, you know, per, whether it's perimeter screens, whether it's throws to the backs, a uh, little dink and dunk stuff to the tight ends, just kind of get him into that lather a little bit where he can build some confidence, complete some easy throws. Now you can loosen the defense up a little bit. Now the intermediate game opens up, and then when the intermediate game opens up, then you can start to take shots down the field. You know, it, it's it's interesting, Trey, going back and looking at the numbers. Again, those deep throws, the ones that travel 20 yards or more in the air down the field. They only threw three of those in the Wyoming game. So it's not like, you know, Quinn's under, underwhelming numbers were due to just, they were just chunking the ball deep and taking shot after shot after shot. That wasn't the case at all.
0: I think they saw on two of those, one being the Sanders long toss up the left, left sideline and the other one in the end zone. Both of those throws, I guess you could have completed them with if they were perfect balls, but they saw at that point that Wyoming was Going to keep safeties back to keep them from beating the Cowboys over the top. Yeah. And credit to Sark again, like we were talking about with him making the adjustment and running the ball a little bit more. I think they recognized something right there and realized that they needed to try to do something a little bit different, mm-hmm. which is why we saw more from the short to intermediate passing game. It's just unfortunate that Quinn and the receivers were never on the same page. It was some combination of. Quinn putting a ball on the money that his receivers were dropping, and this is a unit that as much as we've lauded them up to this point in the year, they are top 10 in the country in dropped passes. That's the the bad statistic, not top 10 in terms of not dropping passes. They dropped that many passes. Yeah, But some of it is also on Quinn, too, even with the accurate balls because those guys, and I remember thinking this last year, too, Jeff, those receivers are looking back sometimes, and they have no idea where the ball is going to be Like, it's not always on target. Yeah. Sometimes it's behind them, above them, or below them. So it's a bit of a guessing game on top of the fact that he really only has one speed. He can't soft toss a ball to anybody. If anything, he's like winging it from from the side with his, you know, with his uh, lots left to be desired footwork that unfortunately leaves uh, a lot of room for error whenever he's throwing these short-to-intermediate balls.
2: You know what's – and this is kind of the – Sark got asked about this yesterday, and this is kind of where I'm at on Quinn. Like, yeah, he's he's got a good year and three quarters at this point, I guess, in, in Sark's, Sark's offense. By the end of the season, he'll have two full years in it. But you're talking about a guy, too, that – between the injury his senior year or his junior year at Southlake, excuse me, where he missed some games, uh, you know, not basically not playing any game action in 2021. And then the, the, the three games he missed last year, Talking about a guy that's only 13 games into his college career. He's been, he's been here for a while, but he's only 13 games into it. So, even now, there's still stuff that he's going to see for the first time in some cases, or maybe he's seen it once. You know, it's not like he just has a, a great knowledge base uh, of seeing defenses and things changing on the fly, especially probably if you, if you prepped for a particular set of coverages and they're showing you something different, it, it's going to take time for him to adjust. I think the next step for him, Trey, uh, along those lines, if you look at him this year, granted, I'm about to jinx him. You know, he's, he's going, he's over 200 consecutive pass attempts now without throwing an interception pro football focus only has him down for one turnover worthy throw this year. And that was the one that he put up for grabs in the end zone uh, against Wyoming, which probably if we're being honest, probably should have been picked off.
0: That was a 500 ball for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, called 50 50. That was more like a, probably should have been like a 60, 40, you know, 65, 35 ball for the defense. Like it was not not great placement, but he hasn't thrown an interception and, you know, he's, he's not putting the ball in danger a lot. So he's got that part of it down. The next part of it is not even necessarily throwing guys open. Can, can you anticipate? And that, man, that's one of those skills that a quarterback has that you don't, you don't know if they've got it or they don't until they're in the fire. You can think, you can think they have it. Kevin, you know what I'm talking about? Like some guys, some guys just can't, they either can or they can't
1: it's the number one skill i look for in a quarterback. Yeah. There's two of them. So we look at arm strength, we look at but anticipation and accuracy. And that probably goes back to the show that i did with uh Major when you were at ACC, Jeff, and cutting class to listen to our show.
2: Man, such so what a what a great what year. a great show. What a great show that was. It
1: was a good show, man. And shout out to Major for going to Stillwater and doing what he did with South Alabama, but you know, Major and I would really get into, like you and Rod do, like we do here, um, get into, like, deep concepts. And it was so great for me, as someone who didn't play college football, but knew football, to really get into their head. And he goes, anticipation and accuracy. Do you have those two things? I mean, you know, Shane Bouchelle is going to be a backup quarterback for a long time in the NFL and make a ton of money because he do, does both those things really yeah. well. Those are the two things, and that gets back to Trey's point about footwork. I was watching Dan Orloski earlier talking about timing and how it's connected to your footwork. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the timing, like on the double slant concepts they're running, which you know, Jeff and Trey, you you read that inside out, you know, the timing was off, and it may have been part of his mechanics that, that that did that.
2: Yeah. I, I didn't learn how important that was until, you know, in the last five to 10 years where I've started studying more. I, I really wish I could get my hands on the Bill Walsh book, finding the winning edge. Like I, a, I, yeah.
1: I, I, I can hook you up with that.
2: Okay. Cause it's like, it's like a $500 book. Cause it was yeah. short printed, what? but that between that and watching like different Bill Walsh documentaries, some of the excerpts. It's like Steve, I, it did, I didn't. It didn't occur to me how much like Steve Young just like infuriated Bill Walsh because he oh. was earlier in his career was kind of like a like a Mustang unbridled a little bit. Yeah, and what what Steve Young learned from Bill Walsh was he said, "You want to know what the key to the West Coast offense?" He said, "No," and he thought he was talking about Ralph combination. He said, "Watch Joe's feet." Joe's feet will tell you exactly where the football is going to go. And Steve Young's like, what the hell are you talking about? So he said, so he's at one practice. He just, Steve Young just sat there and watched Joe Montana's feet. And based on the footwork, you could tell the timing when the receivers coming out of his break. Cause Montana's footwork was impeccable. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's when I learned the importance of footwork and on accuracy. I'll tell a funny story to shorten it for time. Mike Leach was there. Mike Leach was one time uh, between after he'd gotten the, the deal at tech happened. He was uh, at a Big 12 school doing a, a coaching clinic and was sitting down, you know, on the whiteboard with the staff after meeting with a bunch of high school coaches and whatever. And the head coach says, hey, uh, coach, could you give our uh, quarterbacks coach, our offensive staff, some drills on how to coach accuracy? And Leach is drawn on the whiteboard with a marker, turns around, pours some more Jack Daniels in his Coke, stirs his drink with the dry erase <laughs> marker. He says, you want to know how to coach? He goes, you want to know how to coach accuracy? Bleep and recruit better and turns around yeah. and just goes back to the board.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you know who the most accurate guy was? The guy who I actually loved to face at 13 years old in baseball in oh, yeah. our in our area? Drew Brees. Yeah. You know why? Because he was around the plate. That dude <laughs> was accurate at 12. You know, it was the it was the 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 guys, the Adam Bowens of the world who were sidewinding with two seamers would hit you in the ribs you know, hard that, that you worried about and breeze had accuracy back then. You almost can't teach that. Hey, quickly with Leach. Did I ever tell you Ron Mexico, uh, my dad's <laughs> leech story?
2: Everybody's everybody's got a Mike leech story. So let me hear, uh, let me hear your dad's.
1: So my dad's dating this woman dating for a long time and she's friends with Leech's wife and they're in the Florida keys. Right. So my dad didn't know Mike leech, but he's dating her. And, and so they go down there for a trip. And the, uh, Mike's wife was busy doing something. So she said, hey, can you meet them up? And he goes, yeah. He goes, so I'm going to meet them at this bar in the Florida Keys, right? So <clears throat> my dad and this woman, won't give her name, very sweet. Um, Would have been a good stepmom, dad. Would have <laughs> fucked that one up. Um, and um, so they go to this bar. And they go to the top, is second level. And they realize as they get in there, this is a flasher bar a new bar so there's a guy in a trench coat who flashes my dad and his girlfriend my, my dad's very self- you know my dad's very much like me so he got a kick out of it right yeah and she did too she was cool uh but leech meets him there and he was totally fucking with him he was like so he meets him there and he's like so do you guys like the bar my dad's like i'm gonna like this guy it's gonna be a fun weekend
2: <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
1: Mike yeah. Leach, man, so everybody's brother.
2: Yes, 100 percent About as about as one of one. I know there's people say that yeah. about people, but yeah. Mike Leach was one of one. All right, boys. I will uh Trey. I guess we'll do it on Friday.
0: Yes, we will, my yeah, friend. We'll always fun today. to talk with you, man.
2: I'll have uh football stuff and scat knowledge and all kinds of stuff for you on Friday. That's all right. right Jeff,
1: I- I- Jeff, I was thinking about it. You and I should do, and we'll throw Trey on or whatever, but like we should do like a two hour 1990 all the way through.
2: Oh, like um, uh, like an oral history of college football from our vantage point type deal?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Cause I was even going through, we were talking about Florida State earlier and mentioned Andre Wadsworth. You gave, but we forgot Corey Simon.
2: He mm, um, was a first rounder. He was a first
1: rounder, number 58, really good tackle.
2: Bullware um, Wilson.
1: Bowler and Wilson. And then uh, who is it? Uh, Derek, Al-
2: Derek Alexander was a first rounder. On that Derek team. was.
1: Yeah. Derek was <laughs> on the 93 team. Derek Brooks was on that team. Um, there were Kenneth Alexander, too, who's the LBJ guy.
2: Uh, Kevin Emmanuel.
1: Kevin Emmanuel. Yeah. Hey, do you remember or- Orpheus Roy?
2: That name sounds familiar. Yeah. He was
1: a freak. He was with Wadsworth on that like 97, 96, 98 crew. Yeah. Uh, but man, they, Chevin Shevin Smith.
2: Shevin Smith, uh, Clifton Abraham.
1: Clifton Abraham. Who? Dallas Carter, I believe.
2: Yep. Yep. Uh, who was the other Florida State DB from then? Uh, not Terrell Buckley, but there's another one. Uh,
1: Wait, so, so you had, you had what Terrell Buckley was before, but you had Clifton yeah. Abraham. You had, um, Samaje Rol,
2: Samari um, Rol, Samari Rol, who else? Who else? Yeah, it yeah.
1: was Abraham, and who is the other guy who also would at times return punts? Oh, no! But you had um, yeah. uh, Coase. and no, God, yeah. We're,
2: we'll go. We're, we'll we'll run it down.
1: We're doing that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. By the way, it, it gave me great joy as a uh, somebody who grew up watching college football in the nineties. I don't want to say Tennessee, Florida mattered, but the fact that people actually paid attention to it did, yeah. did my it did my college football stole some good. I
1: totally agree, and I actually thought Florida may win that game because I didn't trust Tennessee and Florida was getting shit on so much. I did not think they'd win like that, but yeah, I mean that that was that was big time. It, it's almost like like Colorado, Nebraska, even a couple of weeks ago. The fact that people were even watching. Like, I mean, that that was a huge game for us back in the day. You know,
2: Tennessee, Florida was, there were some years that was the game of the year.
1: Without a doubt. Do you remember Spurrier? It was, I think, shit, it would have been Peyton's junior year, 96. They go there. It's fourth and 10 at midfield, and and he runs a post to Rydell Anthony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like I mean, Trey. No one was going for it on their own forty-five in the first quarter. <laughs> back then, you know, Spurrier is like "fuck you," and uh and throws a post to Rhino Anthony from Warfel, and he goes the distance. And I'm it's thinking like, about I mean, the right game. Wasn't Florida, that play, Florida was a "fuck you" type offense. Wasn't first. that
2: played in a rainstorm? What yeah, rain it was, was about yeah. that day? Yeah,
1: good call.
0: Wow,
2: you guys are both sick.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, we yeah. um. Yeah, we. Uh, it's amazing, Jeff. As a family, not so amazing. I don't.
2: Um, I'm. I'm the guy that would. Uh, you know, most people, most kids will get like porn or cigarettes confiscated at school. I was getting like Street and Smith confiscated. <laughs> but, it, but it was. But it was in my. It was in my math book. So it's kind of It's kind of kid I was growing up.
1: Excuse me, Jeff. Why do you have a penis in the Phil Steele magazine drawn? <laughs> well, because I like the UAB offense.
2: Right? Yeah. Exactly.
1: All right, brother. I mean, be good.
2: I need need to learn about this Louisville shotgun thing with Chris Redmond that's going on. It's got me fascinated.
1: Oh, so uh, I miss this. What? So, so what's this?
2: No, I was just I was just saying that's back in the day. Oh, you know, when, oh yeah. When, yeah. When Chris Red Chris Redman was at Louisville. Yeah. Yeah. They're running spread before a lot of people were. All right, how they got bored the audience enough. Trace, see on Friday. You have
1: you been great. Thanks, Jeff. Katie,
2: great as always. Thanks, Bye. Jeff. All Jeff right, and I are good.
1: bad at Jeff and I are bad at parties, man.
0: Well, or good if you just no, like playing a wall a like I just got to be.
1: It's a two I didn't. Realize, of us.
0: I didn't realize his college football knowledge was extensive as it is.
1: No, it's it's like, it's big
0: time. There's like, very few people who are clearly as comfortable talking with you about the intricacies of 1990s and to a lesser degree 1980s college football rosters. He can hang though.
1: Oh, he can totally hang. That's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, he's one of these people that, you know, I mean, I, I I can throw a name out there. I threw out D. Feaster the last time he was on. D. Feaster was the third string running back Florida state in 1995. <laughs> Number 33. Now, he was a pro because it was Florida State back then. But right away, Jeff looks at me like I, you know, said Trey Elling. He's like, yeah, I know him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff knows his stuff. He does great work. He's also a really good guy.
0: What do you think about the Dallas Cowboys through two weeks of the season? They pound the Giants division rival team that a lot of people thought might be good this year. And then, of course, they take it to the New York Jets Sands, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it's two weeks and it's two not so great opponents. But man, just like with the Longhorns, it does seem like they have one of those defenses that is going to give them a chance to win every game this year and make some noise in the postseason.
1: I think they're as good as any team in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I, other, I think there's only one other team through two weeks who has an argument. And again, it's two weeks into the season, so I don't really care one way or the other. But San Francisco is the only other team right now that looks yeah. that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they struggle a little bit uh, against the Rams, but, you know, McVay's a good coach, and and uh, even though Shanahan's owned him in regular season games, um now, I mean, with their defense and it feels like they're much better against the run this year. And that was that's one of the things, you know, with the inside zone against Texas that worries me. Um, and all three teams have been able to exploit that to some degree. I think Texas can handle that, but Dallas is much better against the run. Uh, I also think McCarthy's doing a really good job. They're getting in and out, they're getting the play in there. They're able to set up, look at stuff, and make adjustments or audibles if they need to. I think Dallas is as good as any team in the NFL, and I'm not a Cowboys homer. So if you're watching right now, I'm be like, well, yeah. no. I'm, in fact, I'm on the opposite of you know. We had Justin Wells on, who's who's a huge Cowboys fan. He's like, you know, they're gonna be, you know. They're going to win eight games or whatever. And I totally, Justin knows football. I I know where he's coming from. It's me saying the Cubs are going to be 10 games under five hundred, And I was surprised they're doing this well this year, that you're kind of born into that. But the Cowboys with San Francisco, Philly, they're as good as any team out there. The Cowboys can win the Super Bowl this year.
0: They could. The hope is that. They
1: won't, but they could.
0: The hope is that they go full Dallas Cowboys before it's all said and done because Jerry's the owner. And Mike McCarthy is the head coach, but Mike McCarthy has a a pretty idiot-proof situation set up this year. So we're going to test just how much of a burden Mike McCarthy can be to his team. They they don't really get tested until Texas OU weekend. Their next two games are the Cardinals and Arizona. And I realize the Cardinals have actually – How did the Cardinals blow that game, by the way? That that was a terrible look for them.
1: It was twenty eight seven. I turned off red zone, and uh, next thing I know, the fucking Giants are kicking a field goal to win the game. I think Same that thing was a Redskins
0: great. game, and the yeah, I think that was more about the Giants needing to get their heads out of their asses, which they eventually did. And then the Cowboys host the Patriots after this, and this we may be watching the final season for Bill Belichick
2: because this God. Patriots
0: team not only are they Andrew, not good yeah. on offense still, which anybody yeah. could have predicted that with whiny Mac Jones is like the second coming of Jay Cutler with his terrible demeanor. And even though he has some, uh, some skills, he has some attributes that might lead him to be a good quarterback. His attitude sucks. And I just, I have no faith in him as a leader. And then Bill O'Brien's the offensive coordinator. Is it a better situation than them not having an OC last year? Maybe, but that doesn't mean they're going to be good, especially when they have a scrub group of receivers like they do. Ramondre Stevenson's a, a good running back, but. You need more than that to compete in this NFL. And they're also a sloppy team too, which is uncharacteristic yeah, of Bill Belichick teams for the last two plus decades now. It really does feel like we may be seeing the final season or the second to last season for Bill Belichick.
1: I heard you and Jeff Barker, y'all did a great job. Jeff sounded great. Big fan of him and and Bob Ballou over there at KI. Um, but I heard y'all talking about that, kind of getting into – this could be it. I do find it ironic that someone who has – I've had more people come up to me and be like, what's wrong with your buddy Trey? I'm like, he's fine. Like We're having a good time here. It's like you're already – you have already yet, and you are getting on Mac Jones for just facial expressions and, and and taking something out of that from his facial expressions.
0: You know who would be a terrible quarterback? On a football team that had postseason hopes, (laughs) me. (laughs) Although I'm a better teammate than Mac Jones is. Mac Jones is a whiny bitch, just like you. are a good teammate. I am a much better teammate. I think some of my sand volleyball teammates would tell you. But the Cowboys play the Patriots in week four, and then they do square off with the 49ers in San Francisco the weekend of Texas OU. After that, it's at the Chargers. then. Will Brandon
1: Staley be the coach at that point?
0: Boy, that's a great question. Because it's done.
1: This is one of those that, hey, the kid's 13. We're getting divorced. We're not even sleeping together. We don't talk. We're getting divorced. It's going to happen. Do we wait five years till the kid graduates? I'm glad my parents pulled the plug. They had six years. They could have done that. You know what? I'm glad you got divorced. Toughen me up.
0: Look, the Chargers could have pulled the plug in year one. It was obvious to me and a lot of people then, but you had these Yahoos who were so beside themselves over a stats driven coach. Who was making the savvy, smart call based on what his notebook was telling him with regard to going for it on fourth and four versus kicking field goals? And meanwhile, it was a lot like watching Tom Herman teams at Texas. It's like you you can't lose games by one, two, three, four, five, six points, and having passed on (laughs) six to nine easy points in terms of field goals to to prove your point that going for it on fourth down is the better idea. Like he has cost them. I don't know, six to eight wins in the last couple of years alone, and they were a playoff team last year. And on top of that, and somebody told me that they thought that he maybe had cancer in the offseason, and if so, perhaps I'm going to have to apologize for this one a little bit later. That guy is aging like a a U.S. president halfway through his first four-year term (laughs) right now. Did you see that back and forth with the media guy following their yeah. loss of the Titans on Sunday? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, That's yeah. his own story. Brandon Staley looks ten years older than he did two years ago. Yeah.
1: Now he kind of look like, looked like you look like Pete Buttigieg or Buttigieg or whatever the South Bend mayor. Um, he looked like him like early on, and now now it's like turning into to Pete's dad probably.
0: Yeah, the commerce secretary, who's conspicuously on vacation or paternity leave, is there's all sorts these are of fucking uh,
1: politicians. We got on Boebert on the right earlier. We'll get on this guy on the left. I mean, some of these people that are in, what a what a fucking clown show. And the other thing I hate is that they they're getting paid a hundred thousand dollars a year, and you've got a lot of these senators that are worth seventy three million. I mean, let's let's cut the cord and get all these fuckers out.
0: I'm just rooting for a. Staring contest between Diane Feinstein and, and Mitch who's McConnell? Kentucky. Who's the cat from Kentucky? Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Diane Feinstein, Mitch McConnell staring contest. Who cracks first on that one? Who cracks first? Who's gonna die first? Yeah, well, that's a fair. That's maybe who the uh, the ultimate loser is or winner, depending on how you look at well, it. Well, be
1: winner because they wouldn't crack. Mitch hadn't blinked the whole time. Check his pulse. Oh shit. All right, is that fair as independent libertarians? We got on both sides there. That's fair. Right?
0: God, I was wondering when you were going to look at that. I was doing my betch- best Mitch McConnell face there.
1: I was not been looking, great. man. No, I mean, the, the last time I saw you do that, you were orgasming. And it wasn't with me. I was filming him and Justine. So no, happening.
0: that was also the look I gave in the photo fo- in the photo booth too. No look. Good comedy is hitting both sides, in my opinion. I know some comedians like to go after one side over the other, but good comedy is poking at both sides on a political issue. Well, it, it
1: both sides deserve it. So there are times when the left's been batshit crazy, the right has, and it's like, hey, go after him. We're talking about politicians, man. This is a, uh, it's a scheme they got all set up and and we're the ones that are paying for all this too, by the way. Yep. Hey, uh, do you want to get into this? Uh, actually, no, we'll, we'll save that because it's still evergreen. I wanted to get into uh, maybe the picture that I sent you that Justine looked at and caused shit, but.
0: Is there anything I over we'll college? That one? Until we have more time to discuss it.
1: Yeah. Um, dude, Florida State won 31-29. Apparently, McCord looked good for Ohio State. You know, could be a there's two sleepers, actually, three. I'm looking at, who could very easily be one, two, and three, and not because of who they beat, but they've been consistent every single game. And that would be Michigan. Actually, not Michigan. I'm sorry. That would be Washington. Yeah. That would be Notre Dame, and that would also be Penn State. Like, all yeah. three of those teams could be in the playoff. I think this will be a fun year for the playoff. I think this is good for college football. The fact that, you know, he had to go to 12 to get more people involved, all that means is beat the shit out of people more.
0: But yeah. I this like could be, this could I be like, the year. I like your Washington and Penn State calls. I think that too many people are sleeping on both those teams because who else is in their respective conferences right now? I am on the record as not being the biggest James Franklin fan, but he has them playing really well right now. And in my opinion, coaching really well. Michael Penix Jr. is the best player in college football right now. Even better than Caleb Williams. Like that's how on top of things he is.
1: Travis Hunter has been the best player in college football so far.
0: Okay. I would accept but, that.
1: But Pennix has been great. Um, so, I mean, I know Pennix has been awesome. I think Allard could bring a lot to Penn State. And um, and I'm telling you, I mean, Sam Hartman's been as good as anyone in college football. You know, Notre Dame did not have a, a guy who would really go downfield. They do now. Notre Dame could very easily be in the playoff. They have a tough schedule. They still have USC. They've got what is it? Clemson um, in a couple of weeks. I mean, they, they, they've got some tough games. They got Ohio State this weekend. Yeah. So, um, but
0: yeah, it's a, t- it's a mean, tough. It's a tough. Right
1: now, I would pick Notre Dame to beat Ohio State.
0: It's a tough three out of four games for Notre Dame. They have o- Ohio State at home this weekend. Then they travel to Duke. Yeah who has actually looked really good this year. Credit Mike Elko there. Right. At Louisville, which I don't know what Louisville is this year. And then they host USC the weekend of the 14th.
1: Yeah. I mean, but they could go 3-1 and in that and still sneak in because I think it'll be one of those years. I mean, the SEC is not where they thought they would be. Georgia didn't look good. I was with my buddy Evan Pittman uh, for the game hanging out, and he's a Georgia guy. We're watching it pregame, and he's looking at me. He's like, we are just not, you know. Now, they're coming off two national championships. So, you obviously, if you're not winning 50 to nothing right away, you're, you're wondering what's going on. But it's wide open, man. Alabama's not the same team. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Belichick earlier. And their fall has been earlier than Alabama's. But it's the two best dynasties we've seen in, in modern football. The Patriots and Belichick, Alabama, and Saban. And I think it's a lot easier to say the Patriot dynasty is over with. And it has been. We're just feeling it now. Um, Alabama's is not the same. I don't care what happens this year. They don't look the same. Um, well, they're offensive line once again, man.
0: Not just that, but they haven't played the NIL game as well as some other programs have. Like, yeah. Nick Saban has basically begged his donor base to get better coordinated. You know who's doing it the best right now, by the way? Texas is.
1: Yeah, Texas is. But it also gets back to Alabama, you know, in fairness, here's the other thing. So, I've given you a lot of love. Easily the biggest cheaters of all time is Alabama. Right. Uh, in football. The whole time. They don't care. Yeah. They're like Kentucky in basketball. They're like LSU in baseball. Hmm, SEC. Like they cheat their help, UCLA in basketball. He had Sam the man. Uh the John Wooden acted like he didn't know what was going on. You get Lou Alcinder, you know, from Power Memorial. Um that but Alabama cheated better than anyone. And I know this for a fact that early on with Saban in 07-08, they decided to soup it up. And they got lawyers involved, and you've got client. Um, privilege there that so they set it up really well they literally set up essentially a 401k so depending on how you produce you get that you get it at 24 25 so they were cheating their fucking ass off so six of their national championships four are probably phony just in terms of you got the talent there which is the main thing and you cheated to do it and now it's on this up level, I mean, they're like a weed dealer. They don't want this to be legal. Yeah,
0: that's why Nick Saban's sanctimoniousness was so ridiculous.
1: No, it was so fucking dope. I don't really like, dude. You cheated more than anyone in college football history at the highest level, over and over and over again. Um, and you. I mean, it's the only time I've ever used the state of Alabama or the school in sophistication in the same sentence. Uh, They sophisticated cheating. And now it's at a legal spot. And like I said, I mean, they they are literally a cartel. It was like, oh, fuck. Are they going to make Coke legal?
0: (laughs) You know, it's interesting.
1: But Our profits.
0: It's interesting to hear the details about how they went about setting that program up, because that is very creative using lawyers and 401ks. It does surprise me a little bit more that they aren't a little bit ahead on this game, that they are falling behind some of the other Joneses here in that
1: regard. Here's the deal. If it's illegal, you don't have to get to a certain spot. They don't have alums that have that money, man. Right? They, They can't play with Texas. Or Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's not playing it as much as they should, or USC, or, or Georgia, Texas, or Georgia. They don't have alums that have that much money. Mm. And so the Texas alums, was Texas paying for stuff? Absolutely. Was Texas cheating? Absolutely. Were they cheating at the level Alabama? No fucking way. Um, and a lot of it was some people were scared. You don't want to get involved with that. You don't want to be the guy for the we you still have to come over and watch the uh Pony express 30 for 30. So there's one guy who's a car dealer who's a big wig. And like, that's, that's like what he's known as now, like the SMU cheater. So you don't want to get involved with the IRS with that. You don't want to get involved with the school. You don't want to have your name besmirched in your business, whatever. Um, But once it's legal, I mean, I'm seeing this stuff. Trust me, with the players we were working with, I mean, people are jumping in left and right that weren't jumping in before or Quietly, we're jumping in and a little bit of hush money. Now it's like, oh, fuck, I'll, I'll give you as much as I can. And um, that's a reality. That, that, that's the funniest thing with the SEC people bitching about NIL. Like, it, yeah, That's the most cheating conference in my life. LSU's by far the biggest cheaters in baseball. Shaven bats, steroids with Skip Bertman, you name it. Um, Kentucky basketball is by far the dirtiest basketball program of all time. And Alabama is by far the dirtiest football program of all time. So, there should be a fun family reunion in Christmas next year.
0: Boy, it's a shame that uh, Nebraska fell off like they did because they may have been able to give Alabama a run for their money through the Yeah, night.
1: Nebraska was cheating in different ways. I mean, they they had, you know, they were taking Prop 48 guys. So, you're getting Lawrence Phillips beat the shit out of fucking Scott Frost's girlfriend. Drag her downstairs, stuff like that. I mean, they had bad guys in there, the Peters brothers. Um, God, yeah, uh, I know what they were doing. I'm not gonna say it. Um, so
0: on top of the overt steroid program going on. And, and the overt
1: steroid program, right? So they're they going something in a different way. But um, but not straight cash, homie.
0: Right. There was there was some of that going on though, right? Because they started recruiting all over the country.
1: There, yes, there was some of that, but not, not. I mean, you know, I'm not a Nebraska homer, so, but not. I mean, the Alabama level that I know what they were doing from 07 on was, mm. it's the best dynasty of all time. It's the most flagrant cheating of all time, and and flagrant meaning if you really know people who coach there, and and you get stories about what what was really going on. And I'm also not a Bama hater. If I've ever been a Bama hater, no. I mean. Great program. It's a top program of all time. So, but let's call shit as it is. And I used to get people SEC honks who would text us when I would talk about this on the radio, you know, dude, you just bitter, dude. Just admit you cheat. And it's one of the things I actually appreciate about Alabama or Kentucky basketball. Most of our fans would go, Oh yeah, I'm fucking my sister. How do you like them apples? Look at her. Look at her tits. You know, like like they're not even embarrassed by it. They're like, yeah, we're cheating. We're cheating
0: a lot. It's why I just shook my head whenever Longhorn fans were pointing at AM landing that top three class, or maybe it was a number one class from a couple of years ago. Like, oh, I wonder what's going on in college station. Yeah, probably the same thing that's going on with us landing the top O line class in the country. Maybe no something doubt. similar.
1: No doubt. Um, A&M was cheating hardcore in the 80s. Texas was not good enough because their results show that. But A&M and Texas are doing the same thing right now. They've got a lot of rich donors and they can play that game to where, you know, Alabama's worried that they're finally at a point now with the spending spree that they can't keep up. If everything's under the table and most programs aren't doing it to a certain level, you can get that advantage and get that separation, you know, with Jimbo and his, and his fucking car dealership, Hmm. not Jimbo Fisher, uh, Jimbo McGunkle, the Alabama alum.
0: Oh, is that a real name? That's not one of your made up names. Totally made up name. (laughs) Great job. Not a
1: bad Alabama made up name for a car dealer.
0: I mean, you had me at Jimbo McGunkle. Come on down to McGunkle's. And we're going to slash prices. We also may slash your throat, depending on what you like to barbecue. Buy a car and get a $50 gift card to Walmart. National championship trophy's going to be out there next week, you know. We're giving money away. Hey, Tina, get the fuck off
1: the car. All right
0: all right good show today man
1: this is fun i'll see you thursday and you're not doing post game saturday you you owe me one man so i got it and is uh bk joining
0: i'm call so, yeah i'm gonna be at a bachelor party in new braunfels on saturday night so we can maybe talk a little bit more about that on thursday yeah
1: i want to talk about that the braunfels is growing actually what i'm doing right now with lone star development we're we're doing some stuff down there and um that whole I-35 corridor, it's funny, from here to San Antonio, what's building up. So are you guys can be staying at the Schlitterbahn Resort?
0: No, we're staying at some multi, <laughs> multi-million dollar lake house.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Well. An Airbnb that we rented, but I'll talk to you on Thursday, brother.
1: Sounds good, guys. Bye, guys.
0: Thank you to everybody for watching and listening today on Texas Sports Unfiltered, both the YouTube channel and that free app. Thank you to those of you who have subscribed. We are over 5,000 subscribers now. Lots of big giveaways going to be going on over the next couple of days. Tune in to Bucky and BK starting tomorrow at 8 to find out more about that. Until tomorrow at 8, I am Trey Elling for Kevin Dunn and everybody else at Texas Sports Unfiltered. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you tomorrow in the meantime. welcome.